0: Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad to see you guys this morning. I imagine you got Thanksgiving all set out, right? You guys are you're set. You know who's coming over. <laughs> you know I'm who you're. You know who you're inviting. If you don't. Um, no, we're good. We're good. We've got, uh, we, we, we uh, yeah, we're taking care of things. We've got a restaurant taking care of our Thanksgiving this year. It's one of those years you just said, you know, let's just, uh, I don't know what that restaurant is in Kittredge, I'm giving a little ad right now. I think, I don't think you can order now. It's done. It's done. You can't, you can't sign up for that. We got it all. We're, it's, it's coming to our house. But, anyways. Hope you guys have a great uh, Thanksgiving. It looks like a lot of people have already been traveling. They're already heading to grandma's house or grandpa's house or mom, mom dad, something like that, cousins. But it's good to have you guys here this morning. It's good, uh, good to see you. You know, next Sunday begins the Advent season. Advent is the awaiting, the coming of Jesus, the recognition that our Messiah has come. It's both a recognition of him coming and his first coming and the birth of Jesus. And then also for us who've experienced that birth and resurrection, it's the second, it's the awaiting, the hope of Christ's return that gives us hope and it changes us, it transforms us, it, it purifies our desires. And so we're going to be focusing on Advent next Sunday. So I'd encourage you this week, if you haven't picked up like an Advent devotional, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go on there and there's devotionals that you can pick up. It's a great opportunity. Get in some Old Testament passages, prophesy about the coming of Jesus and just allow that, that spirit of prophecy and the coming of Jesus, the hope, the awaiting, uh, begin to do that next Sunday, which will kick off the Advent season and we'll deck the halls. I guess that's what you do, right? You deck them. That's what you do. And so uh, this week we'll be decking them. And so you'll come back and the place is going to be decked out. If you want to help with that, we got, you can jump in there. Uh, we got some people that know what they're doing. It's not me. Uh, but anyways, we'll be uh, getting ready for the, the uh, I said this morning Easter and I almost said it right now. Easter. It's not Easter. It's not even close. It's Christmas. But anyways, hey, we're excited about that coming and just to really prepare ourselves before the consumerism takes off, let's, uh, let's put Christ at the center. Hey, if you wanna grab a Bible, we're gonna be in John chapter 10 and, and this is a place that, for me, I've been sitting in and just uh, really allowing myself to wrestle with this idea that God is our shepherd and that Jesus presents this image of God as our shepherd and it's supposed to transform the way that we see God. It was an image that even... To the Israelites, though they knew it in the Old Testament, Jesus goes to a deeper depth and reality of what it means that God is our shepherd, that he knows us, he cares for us, he calls us by name. And though we are rebellious and though we have turned our hearts against him, he chases us, he pursues us to the degree that he lays down his life. And the big idea that when you get to John chapter 10 is that you need a shepherd, the big idea is you need a shepherd. You can't do this life on your own. You were not created to be independent, but dependent. And God wants to speak into your life to direct you, to care for you. You need a shepherd. And the reality is if you don't have Jesus as your shepherd, something will be. It's not as if like, you know, you don't have Jesus. I'm, not sh- I'm just doing my own thing. No, something is shepherding you. It's guiding you. It's directing you. It's leading you to either greener pastures or not quiet waters, what is shepherding you? We desperately need a shepherd. And so what we're gonna look at today is the identity of that shepherd, what he gives us, that he lays down his life. Why did he need to lay down his life? That he knows us fully and completely and that the shepherd himself is, is God. That Jesus comes as, as the very nature God loving us and receiving us and, and expressing an intimacy that goes beyond what we could imagine. So let's jump into this passage in, um, in John chapter 10. You guys ready? You ready? Okay, John chapter 10, we're gonna pick it up in verse, in verse 14. John chapter 10, verse 14 to verse 30. The word of the Lord. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now I have other sheep That are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they also will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, He has a demon. I mean, he's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are are not the words of one who is is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, at that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep will hear my voice. And I know them and they will follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands for my father who has given them to me, he is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand for I and the father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thanks be to God. Father, through the power of the spirit that indwells in us as we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we would ask you to give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Father, that you would allow us to set aside the challenges, the difficulties, or even to bring them to you in this moment, to cast our cares, our anxieties on you. And awaken us, Father, to the reality of who you are so that in knowing who you are, Father, we might recognize our place and our position as those who must surrender and submit to your control so that you might guide us and lead us. And Father, in Jesus' name, restore us. Restore our souls as we come to the good shepherd this morning, we'd ask. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of good shepherds, great shepherds, actually, in in the Old Testament. I mean, shepherding throughout the Old Testament was a main aspect of the economy at that time. And now today, sheep are mainly for meat. So shepherds don't get to know their sheep. They're not around very long. But in Palestine in Jesus' day and in the Old Testament, sheep were used for wool. They were valuable in and of themselves and so there was this relationship where the shepherd would live with, sleep with, watch over their flocks by night, they knew, these sheep, they had a deep relationship. They called them by name. They would not respond to anyone else. Instead, they would hear the shepherd's voice, and they would run to the shepherd because they know this is the one that feeds us, this is the one that cares for us, this is the one that protects us and looks out for us. The shepherd is our life. But no one had ever heard or imagined that the shepherd would willingly die for the sheep. Now, risk your life, maybe, but die? They're still just sheep. I mean, let's not get too, I know we're the sheep, right? But let's not get too excited. They're still just simply animals. And though I love my dog and I love my pets, I don't know if I'm going to give my life for my dog. And I don't think I'm going to lay down my life for the pets. And so what he's describing, it takes this narrative of a shepherd and it goes to a degree that really in the Old Testament they'd never seen. Because see, Jacob was a shepherd. There's a lot of shepherds. Jacob was a shepherd over Laban's sheep. Laban was his father-in-law. And he said, listen, Laban, Laban, if any of these sheep are taken, if they're stolen, I'll pay you back. But he doesn't say I'm going to lay down my life because that's ridiculous. I'm not giving my life for your sheep, Laban, but I'll pay you back for what you lose. David, David's a little bit different, a little bit better shepherd maybe. Lions came, bears came. It's kind of a rough time for sheep right there with lions and bears around. David goes after and he actually kills the lion, he kills the bear, But if you said to David, David, to get your sheep back, you gotta die, I ain't going for the sheep. I'll risk my life, but I'm not going to willingly die for the sheep. So here's this narrative of risking your life, caring for the sheep. Jesus takes that and he goes a step further and he says, the reason you know that I am the good shepherd is that I am giving my life for the sheep. I'm dying in the place of, I'm dying for the sheep. That's something different. And see, and in verse 14, if you jump back in, He emphasizes this a number of times. How do you know I'm the good shepherd? Well, he says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. There's this reciprocal relationship between the two. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life, that's the evidence that I am the good shepherd. He goes on in verse 17. Hey, for this reason, the Father loves me. This is my expression of my love for the Father. I love the Father, and and I express that by laying down my life for the sheep that I may take it up again. He's referring to both his crucifixion and to his resurrection. And he said, nobody took it. I knew it was coming. It's not like Jesus got caught. When he got arrested, he said, "Uh uh-oh. Or maybe when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, he was bought. It's not like Jesus' life was taken from him. He says, no, I knew what was happening and I willingly laid down my life. And I had the authority I could have taken it. The rocks could have cried out. Uh, Listen, I didn't need someone to cut off somebody's ear. I could have called up legions of angels to protect me. I knew what was happening, and I willingly laid down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, verse 18, and authority to take it up. And this is the charge. This is the call that my Father has given me. Jesus willingly lays down his life for the sheep. That's the good shepherd. Now realize, in, in the Bible, death has a role to play. Death sometimes is personified. And it's personified as an enemy. Now in our culture, our culture wants to say death is normal. It's, it's nothing to fear. And yet none of us go to a funeral with that attitude or that spirit. When we lose someone we love, even grandma at 99, we think, hey, something's wrong. I know she lived a great life, but we shouldn't end this way. No one believes that death is natural no we fight it and the bible says that death is an enemy which means that death is not the way that things were intended to be instead it's the result of our own rebellion and the bible goes on further and says death has a claim it's got a debt to anyone who claims that they can be their own savior and lord death has a claim on their life see what is sin sin is claiming i do not need a lord i do not need a savior i'm sufficient I'm enough. I don't need to be told what is right and wrong. I don't need to worship something. I don't need to pursue something. I don't need a shepherd. I am sufficient in myself. A sinner in its own is just simply saying, I don't need a Lord. I don't need a Savior. I'm enough. And see, death has a claim on a sinner. See, the wage of sin, the wage of rebellion against a holy and good God is this debt of death. Both physical death, but also a spiritual death. Now, we know this in relationships. So we don't like these ideas. We don't like these terms of judgment. But in relationships, when somebody has deeply hurt you, you know that trust has to be rebuilt. The debt has to be repaid. Somebody's got to pay it. It's either going to be the one that hurts you, or it's going to be yourself absorbing that pain in your life. In our human relationships, we know the reality of debt and restoration. Restoration. And so if we see that on the human plane, how much more between the creator and the creation is there a debt? And is there a claim of death on us when we rebel against a good and holy and righteous God and say, we don't need you, though we're created in your image and your likeness to glorify you and love our neighbor as ourself, I'm gonna do life my way, my own way. I don't need you. Death has a claim. But see, what Jesus is saying when he says, I lay down my life, death didn't come to me. Death didn't come to me. I owe death nothing. I went to death. And as God himself, I went to death and I paid the claim that you owe. As Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And that both refers, I think, to physical death, but also to the soul's separation from God, but the gift of God. The other side of that is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that Jesus willingly exchanged his life for us, and yet we're just sheep. Remember dogs we talked about, we're not gonna exchange our life for our pets. And there's a closer correlation between you and your dog than you and God. I don't know if you realize that. Now we're created in the image of likeness of God. We're created just a little lower than the heavenly beings. This is the Psalms. We're crowned with glory and honor. But see, between creation, there's a lot more similarity than between you and the eternal. And yet Jesus was willing to bridge that gap for us to step into our place and that's what reveals who he is. He is the good shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for us. And we see that in verse 17. It says this, For this reason, the Father loves me. This is at the heart of who our God is, for God so loved that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse seven, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. Death had no claim on Jesus. Jesus offering himself to death means that death has no claim on us. Oh, death, Where's your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? No, Jesus swallowed death through the cross and the resurrection. He paid the penalty for us on our behalf. We have always longed to have someone love us like that. Think about it. Why are all the great movies written? Beauty and the Beast not about, is it Belle? Ariel? I don't know. All these princesses, you guys got so many. Is it Belle? Gaston, right? I guess he's in there. Makes an appearance. What is it about? Could you imagine that someone could see past our brokenness, to see past our ugliness, to see past their sin, and yet still sacrifice for us? I mean, you still cry at that. When we see it in the cartoons, when we see it in the movies, when we see someone willing to lay down their life, to see past the brokenness, and to see something valuable inside, what do we see? We're really seeing the gospel. Someone willing to stand, to die in our place, to sacrifice on our behalf, and yet we are but sheep, and yet he valued us to the point that he was willing to lay down his life. No one took it from him. And because of that, our debt, our debt has been paid. That's why he's the good shepherd. It's unheard of. And yet, beyond that, it's not just that he lays down his life, he knows who he's laying his life down for. We looked at this last week that there's a great knowledge between sheep and shepherd. He knows them by name, he knows their idiosyncrasies, their fears, their concerns. He knows what they like, that they shouldn't like, the things they shouldn't eat. He knows where they're going to get lost. He knows what's going to eat them, he knows how to protect them. He knows his sheep. And you see this throughout the New Testament that Jesus will come up to many people who are broken, deeply broken, and in ways that were broken that we wouldn't accept. I mean, people, the the disciples, many of them were broken in ways that we wouldn't put up with. We wouldn't let them come to church. They couldn't be an elder. They couldn't even They couldn't open the door for us. And yet, he was willing to die for them. One of them is Nathaniel. I don't know if you know the story of Nathaniel. It's kind of curious. Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, listen, Nathaniel, all right, we found the Messiah. You know, I guess he was hiding. We found him, and he's from Nazareth. And you know what Phil, uh, Nathaniel does? He doesn't care about the Messiah anymore. He's like, Nazareth? That backwater place? Them rednecks? Nothing can come from Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth, see, if you're in Jerusalem, you hated the people in Galilee, but if you're in Galilee, you despise the, Nazareth, uh, the people from Nazareth. That's the lowest of the low. What is Nathanael? Nathanael at least is a snob if he's not a bigot. And he's saying, here comes the Messiah. What color is he? What race is he from? And yet he follows, he follows Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, listen to the words. In John chapter 1, verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. It's as kind as he could say it meaning Nathaniel said what he thought and Nathaniel goes wait a minute how, how do you know me remember he knows his own and his own know him and he, he calls out Nathaniel's name and then notice this curious phrase and Jesus answered him before Philip called you you're, you remember when you are under the fig tree yeah I saw you what was he doing under the fig tree I don't know, what were you doing? What did you not want him to see? What are you surprised that he still loves you even though he sees? We have no idea and that's the beauty of scripture. But Nathanael, when he knows that Jesus saw him under the fig tree, and and whether he saw him physically, saw him from a vision, I'm not exactly sure, but there's something about what Nathanael was doing under that tree that when he knows that the Messiah has seen him, he says, in verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus saw him, he knew him, and yet he loved him. And that's what turned Nathanael's heart. No more talk about Nazareth. You're the Messiah, you're the son of God. Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene had a rough life. There's a story where after the resurrection, where Jesus' tomb is empty, Mary has... She's pouring out her heart. She has lost her savior. She has lost her life. She is distraught. She's confused. She's disoriented. And in John chapter 20, verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb, and she's crying. She's lost everything. And yet Jesus comes up to her, and he says to her, hey, Mary, you know, who are you looking for? Actually, it doesn't say her name. First it says, who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener, because dead men don't rise, and she says, where have you taken him? Where have you taken his body? And it wasn't until he says, Mary, that suddenly she realizes who he is. This is the good shepherd. He knows me, and that confusion, that disorientation turns to joy. He knows the depths of my anxiety, my pain, my sin, and yet he calls him by name. He knows me and he loves me. Zacchaeus, we can keep going. How many do you want? Zacchaeus, wee little man, wee little man was he. You guys did it, climbed up in that sycamore tree. I don't know how they knew. Did anyone see a sycamore tree? Is that, anyways. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus knows who he is. And when he says, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus knows that Jesus knows who he is. And Zacchaeus gathers sinners, tax collectors together. I know you. I know the depths of you. I laid down my life for you. Thomas. Thomas, one of the disciples. I won't believe. I won't believe until what? I got to see, I got to touch. Thomas, it's better, it's better that you not see and believe, but listen, I know you, I know your, your struggles. T- put your hand, touch me, and you'll know who I am. You see this throughout, throughout the New Testament that Jesus knows us. Saul. Saul, why are you, what does he do? Persecuting me. Woman at the well, hey woman, I know you've had numerous husbands, and the one you're living with right now isn't your husband, but I still know you and I still love you over and over. The shepherd knows us and yet he receives us. But here's, here's the reality. And I feel this deeply in my own life. I want to be known. I want to be known. But I don't want to be known. Can we be honest for a minute? I want to be known. I want to be loved. But I don't want to be too loved. You know what I mean? There's stuff in my life. I, I want you to love me but I don't want you to know me. I don't want you to know that I'm insecure I don't want you to know the sin in my past I don't want you to know the addictions that I've gone through I don't want you to know the fears I don't want you to know the horrible things that I've done we all as human beings we desperately desperately want to be known I mean social media is all about wanting to be known but not being known and you look at the way that's taken off that people have created these false personas but they really aren't known we desperately desperately want to be known but the nature of sin is that we're afraid to be a known we're afraid to be known. We're afraid to be exposed. You see that in, in the garden. Remember in Genesis chapter three, it says that Adam and Eve they walked with God. That means intimacy and knowledge. Maybe remember in the New Testament, like Enoch walked with God and he was he was taken up. So that's intimacy and knowledge. But as soon as sin came in, what it said is that they were they realized, oh bless you, I'm exposed. I'm exposed. When they chose to be their own Savior and Lord, when they said, God, listen, we got this, this good and evil thing, we can do it on our own, I don't need you. Suddenly, when they rebelled against the Father and all the Father's presence was stripped away and God could see to the depths of their core, that what did they do? They had to hide. And we've been hiding ever since. And in life, we try to put things before us and before each other. We try to pose. We try to let people know our fears and our insecurities because we want to be loved, but we, be, we don't want to be totally known. And so Adam and Eve, they cover themselves with fig leaves as if somehow that would hide their brokenness and shame. The human condition is we are desperately afraid of being known and yet we desperately desire to be known. And the Bible tells us on the last day when Jesus returns, there'll be two types of people. When the fullness of God's presence comes, one type is found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. And it says this, That when they see the presence, the glory of God, they will call to the mountains and the rocks and they will say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For some, the presence of God will be too much. They do not want to be seen because they want to cover their own nakedness and shame. Whether through their goodness or their achievement, I cannot stand in the presence of God. I need something to cover me. And yet in Isaiah chapter 61, a passage that Jesus referred to often as he talked about who he was. In in Isaiah 61 verse 10, it says, For some, they will not call to the mountains or the rocks, but instead, when the presence of the Father comes, they'll say, I greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul exalts in my God. Why? Notice, because he, he's clothed me. He's covered my shame. He's covered my guilt. He's covered my nakedness with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom. Decks himself, you remember decking yourself, like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. There will be some who, when God's presence comes, they'll stand confidently because they are covered in the beauty that which comes from God. It's the beauty that comes from God. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Kid's a mess. He's offended his father. He's not just offended his father. He's offended the community that he comes from. And the father says, before you enter into this community, I'm not letting you come back covered by your sin and shame. You're gonna come back in my authority. And what does he do? Puts a robe on his shoulders. I want them to know I identify and I receive you gives him this this ring, which is a symbol of the Father's authority. You're coming back, not as a slave, not as a servant. You're coming back only one way, as a son that has been cleansed and redeemed. And he's covered in the righteousness that comes from his Father. We want to be known, but we're afraid, will we be accepted if we are truly known? And the Bible tells us that the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, He laid down his life for the sheep to cover our nakedness with his record and his righteousness. He covered himself with, he covers us with his righteousness. So that in verse 15, if you jump back in John 10, this is the relationship we will have with the Father because of what Jesus has done in laying down his life. He says, the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's this relationship of depth and intimacy, because intimacy, how well does the Father know the Son? I mean, Scripture says that from eternity past, the Father and the Son have been giving and receiving glory, giving and receiving love. The Father longs to honor, to rejoice in the Son. And in the same way the Father knows and loves the Son, the Father is going to know and to love and to receive and to rejoice in us because the, the Son laid down His life for us so that we would be covered in His record and righteousness. This is our identity in Christ. And this is our good shepherd. Because see, it's one thing to be known, but it's another thing to be fully known, fully seen, and yet fully, fully loved. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He captured the heart of the gospel. He said, for our sake, for our sake, he, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become, we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be accepted, that we might be received. You know, that language of marriage in Isaiah 61, that really speaks to me. Because first of all, on your wedding day, you take care of everything. Everything is, there's no detail that isn't isn't addressed. From the location to the food, to what those that gather wear, to what you wear, you are decked in your fineness to hide your insecurities, right? To kind of give a projection of what this marriage is gonna look like, though marriage looks nothing like a wedding day. But we cover it all, right? We cover up all those insecurities, all our little fault, faults and, and brokenness. We cover it up. And yet what makes it beautiful, what makes it true and right is someone's going to receive us knowing these weaknesses and love us none the same. That should be the nature of marriage. That we're coming to someone, we're giving ourselves to them. And listen, you're given the warts and I know you got them. You're given the brokenness. There's God, what was that? Sorry, whatever that was. as a wake us up given it all and you know what that's what the bible calls righteousness it's that moment where somebody sees you and the garments are off and they receive you and love you for who you are that is the experience the existential experience of righteousness and to a greater degree when we come into god's presence he's going to receive us as a bride Chosen, blameless in his sight because the righteousness of Jesus covers us and he doesn't see our shame and our guilt. Instead, he sees what his son has done and he receives us and loves us. I'll tell you, that's remarkable. No shepherd would do that. He lays down his life, he covers us and yet this shepherd is none other than God himself. Because see, when we get to the end of this passage in John chapter 10, he says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Now that may not mean a lot to us but when you look at verse 31 you realize it meant a lot to the people who were listening because in verse 31 the Jews pick up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, why are you stoning me? I, have, have I shown you many good works for the Father for which of these are you stoning me? And the Jews answered, it's not for what you've done, not the works that we're gonna stone you but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, make yourself and you claim to be God. When you go to the 23rd Psalm, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, that word Lord in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. That when someone comes claiming to be the Lord, claiming to be God, he's saying, I am God himself who's come for you. I am the shepherd, which, which realize, what does it mean to receive Jesus as your shepherd? What does it mean to allow him to guide you to greener pastures and quiet waters? He will not guide you or lead you unless you surrender to him as Lord. You can't have the benefits of the shepherd without the identity of the shepherd and this is the part of the gospel we don't want. It's what we fight against. We don't want to give up control. We don't want to give up obedience and we don't want to surrender. We don't want to worship something else. We still have that nature of sin which says my life is mine. I want to do with it what I want. I want to go in the direction I want to choose and I don't want people to know me. I want to hide behind whatever I've amassed and whatever I've accomplished. But to have Jesus as Lord means I've got to surrender. I've got to allow him to see me in all my brokenness and my sin. And I've got to surrender my heart and my life to him. That's what it means to have a shepherd. It means that we have to surrender to him as Lord and we hate doing that. Listen, we hate doing that. Let me tell you a little bit about why. You know, as a young pastor... Sometimes I wondered if God had kind of a true trick, trick in making me a pastor because of my insecurities. And my biggest fear is the fear of man. And so what is God gonna do to rub that out but put me in front of men and women every single week? And see, early on, I had this little church. We were about 80 people strong in Arlington, Texas, beautiful group of people. And every single Sunday, I would stand up, and I felt like my righteousness was being exposed. And what do I mean? People would show up on a Sunday, and I'd wonder the next week, would they come back? And if they didn't come back, I always assumed it's because they know, right? You ever get that job, get that position, get that opportunity? If anyone knew who was running this company, who's running this church, they wouldn't be here. Because deep down, we have these insecurities. Deep down, we know our brokenness. And every single week, there was this play in which I was trying to kind of build up my righteousness. And some weeks, this great family, this great couple, this great person would come in, and I'd think, man, I'm righteous this week. I'm covering up that shit, that, oops, sin. (laughs) That too, I'm covering that up. I didn't say it, I didn't say it, all right? Holy Spirit right there. That's it. But that's... (laughs) That's what I'm covering, <laughs> and when they stayed, I felt right because I was accepted. I was received. I didn't. I didn't have to hide. But see, that's righteousness. That's righteousness. That's what we're looking for in the world. We're looking for something to cover us, something to make us feel right. And it's only when we say to the Lord, "Lord, I'm, I'm going to let it all go. I'm going to expose it." And see, listen. For you, it may not be people. It may be something else. There's something that gives you this sense of security, this sense of identity, the sense that I am okay as I go out into the world. And if it's not Jesus, it doesn't last and it won't transform you. And all of us have something. And the question is will you allow him to be your shepherd? Will you allow him to strip away that stuff? Will you allow him to see the depths and the core of your being? Will you allow him to take it off? To see you in your vulnerability, to see you in your nakedness, to see you in your shame, so that then he can say, Jason, listen, I see it all. I cover it all. I love you. You are my son, in whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. Now go out into the world and give to others what I've given to you. To the degree you allow Jesus to see you and cover you, to that degree, you can be that for others. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of our good shepherd who was willing to lay down. No one took his life. He stood in the gap of death and sin for us so that we could be covered by his righteousness and glory so that we might have a confidence in this life that doesn't come from arrogance or pride, but it comes from humility and courage that God loves us and he's chosen us. Have you received that? Do you know the shepherd? Because the shepherd knows you. Don't pretend. The shepherd knows you. Will you allow him to see you? Will you allow him to? to strip away those things in your life so that he would know you fully. The best way we can celebrate that is by going to the table and celebrating communion. If you haven't picked up the elements as you came in, we're gonna give you an opportunity. Stephen's going to come up, give you an opportunity to go to the back. They're available in the back, also up in the front. And this is an opportunity for us just simply to acknowledge, uh, Jesus, though I want you as Savior, so often I resist you as Lord. I resist your word. Listen, for many of us, I resist surrendering to you. I resist admitting the areas in my life where I'm afraid, where I am broken. Would you strip those things away from me? Would you help me to see the things in my life that I'm running to as savior, as false savior? And in this moment of confession and repentance, we want to acknowledge those things to him. And just through the power of the spirit, would you receive his forgiveness, his cleansing? Let's spend a few moments and reflected prayer before our Father. Shepherd, you know us, you know us, and nothing is is hidden from your sight. Tell us you'll never leave us or forsake us, which means you always go with us. You go with us into our brokenness, you go with us into our insecurities, you go with us into our shame, you go with us into our guilt, you go with us into our fears, you go with us. And we acknowledge, Lord, apart from you, apart from your righteousness, we have nothing to give to the Father but simply our surrender, our heart, and to say, Jesus, would you cover me? Father, I pray for those that have never cried out to you, receiving the good news of the gospel and said to the Father, accept me, Father, on the basis of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. I recognize that I'm a sinner that is in rebellion against you. I've chosen my own path, and yet Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, took my place he bore the sin and the brokenness that should have fallen on me. And through his resurrection, he has given me life. Father, receive me on the basis of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, give me that newness of life which comes through faith in what Jesus has done. Jesus, uh, on the night in which you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and gave thanks. and You said your disciples take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you. Church, let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, which is the new relationship that is now established in his blood. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him.